0: This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. Sitting in with me this week is Sophie Bushwick, senior news editor at New Scientist. Hi, Sophie. Hi, Ira. Later in the hour, the applications of AI in medicine. But first, this week came news of an advance in animal cloning. Researchers in China have successfully cloned a rhesus monkey named Retro that grew to adulthood and apparently lived normally for over two years. Here to fill us in on that is Timothy Revel, deputy U.S. editor at New Scientist, based here in New York. Welcome back, Tim. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. Okay, tell us about this clone
1: monkey. What's going on here? Yeah, so there have been many attempts to clone rhesus monkeys over the years, but normally they result in very early deaths. And Retro appears to be the first clone rhesus monkey that is completely healthy. He was actually born in July 2020, and but we're just hearing about him now, so he's actually more than three. And the thing with this clone is that it's slightly different cloning to the normal type of cloning you'd think of in terms of like dolly the sheep from the 1990s right, right. And that's that rather than using adult cells, fetal cells were the key thing at the beginning. So that means you couldn't use this technique to just take some cells from you and create a second IRA. Instead- Who would want that to <laughs> yeah, begin with? Yeah, instead you, you would have had to imagine that right at the beginning of your life.
0: And what, what did that solve? What, was there a specific problem that that solved?
1: Yeah, the difficult thing, particularly with primates and with humans if we were ever to try to clone them, is that throughout your life you get lots of these genetic markers that change how your DNA behaves. And they work well for as you're older, right. but they're not the right markers for if you want to create a completely new you from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what by taking fetal cells rather than adult cells, it doesn't have any of those genetic markers on them. And therefore, you can create a, a clone that way.
0: Very clever. Yeah, very clever indeed. <laughs> but is this going to lead to more cloned primates do you think?
1: I think it's possible that this method might be used for like one specific use case and that's for if you want to uh, have a scientific study where you have lots of primates that have all got the exact same genetics, and you wanted to test different medications on them. But primate research is very controversial, and so is cloning. And so, yeah. I don't think we're going to see a quick explosion or of this people. or people or people or people. I honestly think that, like, it it was so difficult to produce this it rhesus was. monkey yeah. that it seems unlikely to me. Like, it's illegal in most countries to try a human clone. As far as we know, nobody's actually tried that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to news as we speak about a Japanese moonlander called Slim. What, what is this yeah so this is this is an amazing moon lander
1: slim stands for smart lander for investigating the moon and since December it's been orbiting the moon and it, within the last few hours it actually touched down on the moon and the thing with slim is that it was built to test uh, this thing this technology called smart eyes which is all about how accurately could we possibly land on the moon and so Normally, the area you're looking to land is tens of kilometres wide, but the hope, and this is still currently being confirmed as we speak by the Japanese Space Agency, the hope was that it would be able to land in an area as small as
0: 100 metres. Wow.
1: Yeah, really, wow. m- way better than they anything else. They have some
0: else. proprietary method of no it's,
1: it's just it's like the technology that exists today. So things like artificial intelligence. So as ah. it descends, it's using image recognition to spot craters and to course correct automatically as it goes down.
0: That is that's really
1: cool. cool. It's really amazing. Yeah. So even just landing has been is a really good achievement. The thing that uh, is a slight disappointment is it seems that the lander's solar panels aren't working. And oh. if that's the case, it's only got a few hours battery life from now so jaxa the japanese space agency they're currently rushing to try to fix it but also uh you make the most of the few hours
0: that they might have Mm, i get it okay let's move on to a story that you have about human life expectancy Mm -hmm. a gap between men and women yeah this is a really cool study
1: that's looked at mortality data from 194 countries over a 20 year period and it's about how life expectancy is changing and how it's changing between men and women so over that 20 year period nearly every country life expectancy has increased and throughout that period, also the gap between how long men and women has also decreased. Right. So typically women live a little bit longer than men. And in the richest countries that they group together in this research, that gap has been closing a small amount from 4.85 years at the beginning of the study to 4.77 at the end, which is only small. But the team predict that by 2030, the gap will be down to 3.4 years.
0: That's amazing. But I know, you know what, that. Yeah. Well,
1: why? Good. <laughs> good question. Yeah. So Part of the reason is uh, down to so life expectancy has generally increased because medicine has improved. And one of the areas where it uh, we are seeing quite a big impact is on diseases such as those related to smoking and alcohol, both the medicine, uh, the sort of treatments available, but also awareness campaigns. And those typically hit men harder. More men were affected. And so as that's reduced, the gap has decreased.
0: And this is a global thing. This is a global uh- thing. Yeah, there are, there are only a handful of countries where this pattern is not what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Looking at, at numbers, speaking of numbers, you have a story about AI doing tricky math problems. I could have used that years. <laughs> yeah, couldn't. Could,
1: me too. I really love this story. This one's about, um, you've probably heard of the International Mathematical Olympiad. It's, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's basically the like the big math competition for high schoolers, and it pits the, uh, the sort of mathematical wits against each other. And traditionally, AI is terrible at mathematics. So uh, GPT-4, for example, OpenAI's really famous AI scores zero on math Olympiad questions. It just can't do them. And even specialized AIs built to try and solve this problem have not been particularly good at it. Well, now what's changed is that Google, Google DeepMind have had a go and they've built this AI called Alpha Geometry. And on a test of 30 Olympiad questions, it scored 25. And by comparison, an Olympiad gold medalist, which is the best of the best, is expected to score about 25.9. So it's
0: hot on the heels of the smartest high school math Olympiads. Yeah, I remember doing geometry. I really liked it because you had to... to, uh proofs of things and yeah. I, that's what they must have had to do right the yeah the ai so that's that's exactly right and
1: one of the ways that they uh, improved their ai to make it possible is that it's actually built in two parts the first part is a bit like chat GP. it's chat gpt it's good on vagueness and language and right. understanding the problem but it's not the one that's allowed to solve the problems instead it feeds it to another part of the AI that has to use rigorous mathematical logic, which is what gets it to an actual proof and an answer rather than the sort of uh, just uh, the sort of fake proof answers that you tend to get with ChatGPT.
0: Imagine the homework it had to do.
1: Yeah, right? it, it was trained on hundreds of millions of oh, examples, is that right? Hundreds of millions, yeah. So it did a lot of homework before it came good enough.
0: <laughs> Better it than me. Oh, let's move off the planet for a minute and there, there's a mysterious a mysterious patch on Mars. I mean, there's always something mysterious <laughs> on Mars, but this, this appears to be a giant lump of ice. Yeah, it's
1: amazing. So it's this huge deposit around the equator of Mars called the Medusae fossi Formation. And we've yeah. noticed about this for 15, 20 years, but not been exactly sure what it is. It turns out now, according to new data, that it's actually this patch of uh, water ice. And there's so much water ice there that if it melted, it could cover the entire surface of Mars in six and a half feet deep of water.
0: I'm just trying to absorb that. That's <laughs> So it's a giant patch of ice that if it melted, it wow. Yeah, it's like a ring. That, that's ring unbelievable. The it's yeah, amazing.
1: And I'm just picturing that amazing planet-wide swimming pool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it give a very different
1: vibe to the red planet if it, if it was
0: actually <laughs> the blue planet, wouldn't it? So, it must tell us something about past that this water came from somewhere, right? Yeah, so under the current conditions on Mars would not allow this sort of
1: water to form. So, instead, the suggestion is perhaps, you know, we know that Mars over its lifetime has tilted many times and swung back and forth and that perhaps in its past this water ice formed when the equator was pointing further away from the sun.
0: Let's stay because it is Science Friday. In, in space news, which we love, uh, yeah. there's some black hole news this week.
1: Yeah, the James Webb Space Telescope, or the James Welly Space Tele, as my space colleague <laughs> likes to call it, <laughs> like Yeah, it spotted this black hole that is the oldest and most distant black hole we've ever seen. The black hole is six million times as massive as the sun. And it's located in this uh, galaxy named GNZ 11. And that's about 13.4 billion light years away. But the light coming from that, that galaxy is just 400 million years after the big bang. So
0: it's really, really young. Wow, that's that's just like it's in its infancy, right? Right after it formed, does it tell us anything about black holes, or is it just the oldest one?
1: Yeah, it's the, it's the oldest one, but it's it's very strange for a black hole to be that big that early in the universe's history. So it suggests that there might be something wrong with our understanding of how black holes form.
0: You think? <laughs> <laughs> we keep hearing new st- stories about black holes being mysterious. Well, it, our laws of physics are not up to snuff anyway. Yeah, they're not up to snuff at all. <laughs> um, how, uh, let's let's talk about uh, global warming. Is, is turning ibex nocturnal? Is that right? That's
1: correct, yeah. So these, this is specifically ibex, uh, alpine ibex in the European Alps. And as global temperatures warm up, the animals that are most affected by that tend to be the ones that are in colder climates, such as like these alpine ibex. And a team looked at their patterns of behaviour over a 15-year period and found that the ibex are, when it's hotter during the day, that they become much more active at night. Right. But the thing with that is that at night wolves are much more active too and they're particularly
0: partial to the taste of Mm. an alpine ibex oh
1: that's not good news for them not good news
0: for them no finally we have this story that's both materials and topology the smallest nut yeah, smallest how, and tightest. How, how small are we talking
1: about? Just 54 atoms form this knot. And it's formed into a sort of trefoil knot shape. So sort of three intersecting parts. Um, and it, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's, got, it's partly made of gold. And it was almost made serendipit- serendipitously because it was just mixing a certain uh, atoms together resulted in this knot.
0: Hmm. And so it's, it, it, it forms spontaneously when they mix the atoms together?
1: Yeah, that's right. So they, they mix together a liquid containing gold atoms linked by carbon rings and then phosphorus, phosphorus atoms link, linked by a different assortment of carbon rings. And then they don't know why it forms. But it does. And they, then they ended up with this amazing knot.
0: And they were trying to do something else, probably.
1: Well, they were, they were hoping to form knots. The thing is, they just don't know why they form this way. But the hope is that if they keep doing this, eventually we might figure out why the knots form. And that could help us to make more interesting materials, but also to better understand biology as proteins often form these strange types of knots.
0: Or not. Yeah, or <laughs> not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Timothy. It's great stuff. Thanks for having me. Timothy Revel, Deputy U.S. Editor at New Scientist, based in New York. I understand you're you're heading back to London shortly. You're going to be leaving us. Yeah, in March I will be back in the U.K. Well, good luck to you, and thank you for all the work you've been doing with us. We'll, We'll still be in touch. Yeah, I hope so. I can dial in from there.